Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Take your copy of the Word of God, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and Proverbs in chapter number 16. The book of Proverbs and chapter number 16. We've been going through this book of Proverbs, hitting principle after principle here and there and a little bit. And if we take our time to look through all of the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, to me personally, as a personal opinion, seems to be one just chocked full of principle and wisdom and a lot of things we could pull from. I enjoy Proverbs 16 quite a bit. Of course, we hit Proverbs 16 on <coughs> Wednesday, where we spoke about finding God's will for our life, that we commit our works to the Lord and our thoughts will be established. And we saw the principle that God had given to us that we can't trust our own thinking, but we need God's direction. How do we do that? By surrendering ourselves to God and allowing God to guide us every step of the way. Well, we come to the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and we find another very powerful principle. The book of Proverbs 16, and notice with me in verse number 7. Proverbs 16 and verse number 7. The Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark that first phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter 16? Proverbs 16 in verse number 7, notice the phrase, when a man's ways please the Lord. When a man's ways please the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together and then we'll explore this passage of this principle. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you'd give us mercy, that you would open up our understanding with discernment, with wisdom, that we could apply this properly and see it affect our everyday lives. Lord, Thank you that we can trust you and thank you that you desire for us to live in a time of peace, even when there seems to be no peace, that we can have the peace of God and the peace from God in our lives. We do love you and your name we pray, asking for your direction and your grace. Fill me with your spirit now. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. This is a powerful principle, and sometimes when people read Proverbs, there's so many principles right over another that people can sleep on this principle, or they can pull out a wrong teaching. It says here that when a man's ways please the Lord, he, now we have a pronoun here, who's this he? This he is the Lord, that the Lord maketh his enemies, meaning the man's enemies, to be at peace with him, that man. So we could see that when our ways please God, the principle says that God makes our enemies to be at peace with us. Now there is a common misteaching that says, uh, and it's 
impractical, it's illogical, but yet it's sometimes taught. Some people teach that if our ways please God, then we'll have no enemies. As much as we'd like for that to be true, it's not practical. So if it means that God doesn't take away our enemies, and again, some people say, well, then God just kills all our enemies. As long as I'm right with God, God will just, you know, get rid of all my enemies for me. He'll lock them away, put them. What is this principle teaching? Well, let's dive in so we can get an understanding of this, that when a man's ways please the Lord, that God will make even our enemies be at peace with him. Let's first of all start with this principle. The goal is God. The goal is God. What is the goal? What is the main port? What is our part of this? It says when a man's ways please the Lord. The goal is to please the master. The goal is not to get rid of our enemies. The the goal is not to make peace with our enemies. The goal is God. The other idea of of having our enemies be at peace with us, that is a byproduct of the goal. That is something that happens when we achieve that goal. But the goal is God. The goal is to be pleasing to God. Which brings up a question. If we want our ways to be pleasing with God, what does it mean to please God? What aspects Uh, are pleasing to God. If you don't mind, I'd like just to point out a couple different things the Bible says that pleases God in concerning of our ways. We're going to be back in Proverbs 16, but let's make an exploration of a couple different spots. First of all, turn with me to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. The Bible says that when our ways please the Lord. So what is it that pleases God? What is it that we could direct our path, our steps, direct our life, our manner of being to be pleasing to God? What pleases God? Well, notice with me in Psalm 147, we find a one thing that pleases God. Notice with me Psalm 147 and notice with me verse number 11. Psalm 147 and verse 11, the Bible says, the Lord taketh pleasure. All right. So God is pleased with something. God takes pleasure. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. What pleases God, according to this passage, those that fear him. Now, if fearing God pleases him, we need to kind of further define what does it mean to fear God? Remember that the fear of the Lord is an emotional response we develop based off of our knowledge of God. We know that the knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It starts that he is a holy loving God who cares for us and wants to spend time with us. And as we get to know that God personally, we begin to develop an emotional attachment. This emotional attachment turns into a fear. Some people says, is the fear of God a shaking of knees? Yes. Is the fear of God a deep respect? Yes. It's all of those things. Let me give an example. Growing up, my parents disciplined me and they I developed a respect. Of course, hopefully I have an emotional attachment to my parents. But as an adult, we go back and say, man, if I ever did that, my mom would kill me. 
Does that mean that my mom would literally come with a butcher knife and say, I'm tired of this. I'm going to end you. No, not at all. She is not going to literally kill me. But because I had such a respect for her and what she has done in my life, I have an idea that I don't want to do that action because of that respect. And me saying that my mom would kill me if I did that is a way of expressing that fear of my mother for that action. That action will displease my mom, so I choose not to do it. Does that make sense? That's what the fear of the Lord is like. Because I've developed an emotional attachment to God, he's not a distant God, but he's a close God. He's a God that I want to please. He's a God that I want to make happy. He's a God that I've learned what makes him happy and what doesn't make him happy. So I choose not to do those things that displease him because I love him, because I fear him, because I respect him. Does that make sense? The Bible says in Psalm 147 verse 11, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him. God takes pleasure in those that have an emotional attachment to God so much that they don't do certain things in their life in order to be pleasing to him. God's pleased with that. By the way, do you think my mom is pleased when I, <laughs> with that idea that there are certain things I don't do in my life because I respect her and love her? Absolutely. It's a way that shows that she is important to me. I have an emotional attachment. So there are things I choose not to do in my life in order to be pleasing to them. Because I curb those actions, it shows honor, respect, fear. All of those things are worked in there. So as a Christian, as a believer, God takes pleasure when there are things I choose not to do in my life because of my fear of him, because of my respect of him. It shows that I love him. Does it make sense? God is pleased with that. Again, mostly because of that close relationship that God has developed with him. He desires that. God takes pleasure in those that hope in his mercy. Meaning that I have a God who wants me to go to him and ask for mercy. Some people... Uh, treat their parents like this. And it's not a correct relationship. Oh no, I messed up. I need to keep this away from my parents because they'll kill me. That carries the idea that I have a wrong respect for them. I have a wrong relationship. Something's wrong somewhere. God wants us to have the relationship that, oh no, I messed up. I better go tell my father right away so he can help me with this. That's this idea of hoping in his mercy. Most people like to run from their sins, like to pretend, like to hide it, like to bury it, like to make sure. It's always amazing to um, <coughs> get talking with uh, people about their parents and they said, yeah, my parents never found out I did this. We successfully hid it away from them. Or later on, mom, you never knew, but I did this. And it may sound good at the time to reveal all those secrets, but again, it exposes that there was something wrong. I, no matter how much trouble my children get into, as long as they're honest with me, I can help them. The same thing's true about God. It doesn't matter how badly I messed up. And by the way, I've done some whoppers. As pastor, I've done some whoppers. But God wants me to feel free to go to him and say, Father, I've messed up. Father, I've done wrong. Father, I need some help. Can you help me? And God will help us. 
That's the type of relationship God wants us to have. So what does God take pleasure in? May we maybe summarize it like this, having that healthy, personal, intimate relationship with him. What pleases him? For me not to be the distant cousin twice removed, but to be a very important part inside of his family. To have that intimate, close, healthy relationship with God. That's what pleases him. What's the second thing that pleases God? We're trying to find out that if a man's ways please the Lord, that he will make his enemies be at peace with him. So what pleases God? What are we looking for? We're looking for this qualifiers. What is it that pleases God? What is it that makes my ways a pleasure to God? Well, turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. It is an interesting study to find all the things that please God. I am not going to take the time to do an exhaustive list, but I want to highlight several things that the Bible clearly says pleases God. So in the book of Psalm 147, we find a principle of fearing the Lord. What pleases God when we fear him, which carries a further definition, explanation of having a personal, intimate, healthy relationship with God that we could run to him and talk to him about anything, no matter how badly I've messed up, no matter how badly I've gotten into trouble, I can go up to him. But there are certain things I choose not to do in my life because of that relationship with him. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we find something else that pleases God. Notice with me as it says an opposite of verse number six, Hebrews 11 verse six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now that's a pretty declarative statement, a statement of declaration. Without faith, it is impossible. That word impossible is a very big word. Normally we say with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible when we put our trust in God. But we find that there is one impossible thing. That if we don't live a life of faith or if we don't respond with faith, it is impossible to please God. So what is faith? Faith is trusting God, taking God at his word. It's recognizing that he is God. In fact, a good definition of faith is in Hebrews 12 too, that it says looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What is faith? It's looking unto Jesus, having the right object of our faith. The Bible says that if we don't look at Jesus, if we're not considering him, if we're not pleasing to him, we're not operating by faith. The Bible speaks about in the book of uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, we're not turning there, but it says, the soul that is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That carries that the opposite of faith is not unbelief. The opposite of faith is not trusting God. It is pride. So anytime that we are prideful and think we could do it ourselves and we don't need God, we are not pleasing to him. We need to be pleasing to him on all aspects of our life. Now, we're going to speak a lot about pride on Wednesday, but this is a big deal that when we are operating by our own power, by our own intellect, by our own strength, we are currently not being pleasing to God because we're not operating by faith. It kind of brings up a question, how much of our life is really pleasing to God? 
because we are self-sufficient. We are self-dependent. We are self-operating. We are self-supplying. We don't need God for much of anything in our life except for little mistakes that we make. Now, that's not a true statement, but that's how we operate. That's how we go. It's amazing. Some people can go all day without even thinking about God, much less asking for his help. I don't need help to drive, which is the most dangerous thing you could do on a daily basis is to drive. It's the most dangerous thing you could do. I've got this. I've been driving all of my life. I don't need God. We've learned to depend upon ourselves. Well, I don't even ask God for my daily bread. I just go to Walmart and use some money that I earn. We don't depend on God. We have a faithless life. But the Bible says about without faith, it is impossible to please him. Could this be why we have so many enemies around is because we're so self-sufficient that God doesn't take care of them? He says, fine, you've got this. Help yourself. What else pleases God? Notice with me why we're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. What is it that pleases God? Notice with me Hebrews 13. And notice with me in verse number 15. Hebrews 13, starting at verse number 15, the Bible says this. By him, let him... Uh, let by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name but to do good and to communicate forget not for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now notice, if we want to try to dissect this statement together, notice there are two common words in verse 15 and verse 16. That is the word sacrifice. It says in verse 15, we have the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving things to God. And then verse 16, it says with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He said, preacher, summarize that. God is pleased when we use our words and our lips to give praise and thanks to God. May I further uh, summarize that statement? God wants to hear you sing. Amen. You know, it is amazing. I'm going to get cameras. I keep threatening one of the, I'm going to get cameras. And for a song service, just to see your expressions even in a song service. Oh, victory in Jesus. Some people have taught the, um, taught the watermelon trick that, you know, when you're up in a choir, if you don't know the words, you go, watermelon, 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 you know, and it makes it look like your lips are moving. And very clearly, you lips are not matching the words. Or some, the words don't, or lips don't even move. And there's some that don't even have the songbook. Do you know that during our song service, it is a time to be pleasing to God? Because he wants to hear you sing. And it is a sacrifice of praise. Now, when we think of sacrifice, we think of something that's not coming back. We think of something that's final and finite. But if you can offer a sacrifice that is not going to cost you much, and it's still pleasing to God, isn't that worth it? Amen. So when you withhold praise by refusing to sing in a song service... 
you're withholding a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. You know, every single one of us can be pleasing to God inside of a church service, starting off by singing out loud. You said, but I don't sing well. God didn't say any qualification about you singing well. He said, a sacrifice of your lips, giving thanks to God, doing the best you can with the tools that you have available and the skills that you have. The Bible just says to make a joyful noise. What does that mean? Sing loudly. It may not sound pleasant to the people next to you, but to God, it sounds wonderful. And remember, he's the goal. He's the one that we're trying to please. He's the one. And if it sounds beautiful to him, who am I from withholding that? And by the way, we teach our folks in here that we're going to be patient. If I understand, I'm not the greatest song leader, so I get to be the example. And so if I'm able to sing loud and not sing well, then you guys could definitely pick up the slack. It's going to be fine. We'll work on it together. But if that's an easy way to be pleasing to God, isn't it something we should be doing? When a man's ways please the Lord. Our goal is God. And the first thing we need to do is please God. What pleases God? The fear of the Lord. Having this close intimate relationship with God that we could go to him for anything and everything. What pleases God? Faith does. Our dependence upon him. Trust in him. Looking to him. Obeying him. What pleases God? The fruit of our lips pleases God. Using our mouth to sing praises to him. We know that there are many other things, but let me just do one more. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. What pleases God? We're just looking for a simple answer because the Bible gives a principle that if a man's ways please the Lord, that he'll make even his enemies to be at peace with him. So our first principle is what pleases God? God is our goal. What pleases him? We know that we've listed the fear of the Lord pleases him. That faith pleases him. The fruit of our lips pleases him. What else pleases God? This one's a big one. Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And look with me verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Notice this statement now. It pleased God. All right, so we got a pleasure statement. What pleases God? It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You know what else pleases God? Preaching. You say, what does that have to do with me? How you respond to preaching. If God loves preaching, if it pleases God to have someone open the Bible and preach from the Bible and that makes them pleasing and it's pleasing to God, how do you affect in this? Well, if it's pleasing to God, you should have a good attitude towards preaching. Again, we'll go back to the cameras to watch people when I'm preaching and to see their expressions and to see how they're doing, whether people even have a Bible at all. Or, or the when where their head's falling off and I'm just waiting for it to roll off. <laughs> to see how people respond to preaching. Again, if you don't even bring your Bible to church, do you really love preaching? 
Are you enjoying the act, the thing that God enjoys that's pleasing to him? You know, we teach our folks to take notes. Why? You should expect God to speak to you when you're preaching notes. Notice again, verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God. So God said in his wisdom, I'm going to do something that the world won't understand. For after that, in the wisdom of the world, by wisdom, knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Now, why is it called foolish? Because that's how the world looks at it. The world says, how in the world do you expect to solve people's problems? Preaching. That doesn't even make sense. We need education. We need counseling. We need this. God says preaching. You know, there's not a single spiritual problem that cannot be solved by preaching. He said, it doesn't make sense. I know God said that. God said, I want to show how wise I am that I'm going to do something that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world to solve people's spiritual, moral, and character problems. Preaching. When we are understanding that it's by preaching that God changes lives. It's by preaching that people make decisions. By preaching, people respond to him. This is a big deal. And it's pleasing to God that what we have going on in this church service right now is the most important thing going on in the area. That we have an opportunity to be pleasing God with the fruit of our lips, by exercising faith, by learning the fear of the Lord, and by the foolishness of preaching. These things allow us to be pleasing to God. That's why being faithful in a church service is a big deal. Because it allows us to put all of these things into practice. The fear of the Lord. Not only the fear of the Lord, but exercising faith. Not only faith, but the fruit of our lips. And the foolishness of preaching. These things please the Lord. When you are part of a church service, you are part of something important. A part of something very big. Something that matters in the light of eternity and our relationship with God. This matters. This is important. And it is by preaching by a church service and our response to the things going on that we could walk out of here pleasing to God who was our goal. So we start off with our goal is God. Now as we go back to the principle found in the book of Proverbs chapter number 16, Proverbs 16. Let's catch the other end of this principle. Proverbs 16, and again, verse, notice verse 7. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, when we keep our eyes on the Lord, we find that God is bigger than our enemies. That's one of the first things. If our eyes are staying on him, who are these little pipsqueaks? God could easily squeeze them (laughs) out of existence very quickly. They're nothing compared to God. No matter what they do, they don't compare to God. But more than that, this principle here is that as long as our eyes are on the Lord, the principle here is that we are less concerned with what our enemies have to say. The goal is not to get rid of our enemies. The goal is to get to the place where our enemies aren't bothering us anymore. Because we're more concerned with what God has to say. That God becomes a big God. When our eyes are on God, even our perspective changes on our enemies. 
The Bible gives a principle when it's talking about the armor of God in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We're not going to turn there, but the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. A way of summarizing this is that people are not our enemies. When you are looking at God and you see him high, holy, and lifted up, when you have God as your goal, when you're trying to please him, you start to develop his heart and you don't see the people as enemies anymore. You see them as souls in which Jesus died. You need examples? Here's the example of Jesus Christ, who while he was on the cross said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, Jesus at the time is in the process of being murdered. If you uh, need a definition, uh, murdering is not a good event. He is being murdered. And yet, while he is in the most agonizing pain, remember, the word crucifixion is a word that they brought up to try to, they had to invent a brand new word, or sorry, agonizing is a brand new word they brought up to try to describe the type of pain that he was in. It was so intense, they'd invented a brand new word. He was agonizing. He was an agony. The torture that he went through the most intense pain anyone has ever gone through. And in the midst of the middle of the pain, he said, Lord, forgive them. May I give the case of Stephen and Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, one of the first deacons who he didn't do anything wrong and yet they arrested him and put him on a false trial. They hired people to lie against him in court. And when they are in the process of lying to him. They looked on his face and his face was a face of an angel. What does that mean? It was a face of peace. You understand Stephen didn't have any enemies right then. He was looking at these people as a people that needed a savior. They dragged him outside of town, put him in a pit and took rocks and began to stone him to death. And while he is being stoned, he says, Lord, forgive them. One of the young men that was included in this stoning, who was an active participant, was a young man by the name of Saul, who later on got saved and became Paul the Apostle. Do you know that if Stephen did not ask for God to forgive them, we wouldn't have had a Paul the Apostle? Paul makes a big deal out of this later on when he's given his testimony. How'd you come to know the Lord? It started with a man by the name of Stephen and I never got over it. He asked God to forgive me for what I was doing wrong. And I didn't even realize I was doing wrong at the time. He said, I never got over it. If it wasn't for Stephen, there would be no Paul the apostle. That's how big of a deal this is. When we have God as our goal, God makes even our enemies to be at peace at us. Why? What happens? We don't see our enemies as enemies anymore. For we fight not against flesh and blood. We see them as souls in which Christ died for. And we realize that God is using us to try to reach our enemies for the Lord. You say, well, is it Jesus is Jesus. He's God. Stephen's some sort of super Christian. Is this practical? May I give into light of another person? Uh, someone close to me by the name of Dr. Reese. Dr. Ed Reese worked with me in the Chronological Bible for about 10 years before he passed. And then I took him to the finish line. 
Dr. Reese was amazing. He didn't have an enemy in sight. Now, those who knew Dr. Reese knew he had plenty of enemies out there. But Dr. Reese didn't have a single enemy in his own mind. As an example, he wrote a book called The Encyclopedia of Christian Biographies. It's a big, thick book in my office. It has thousands and thousands of biographies of Christians uh, throughout the ages, starting from the apostles all the way up to, I think, Jerry Falwell, right after Jerry Falwell passed away. He got included in the book. Thousands and thousands of entries. Dr. Reese spent a good deal of his life. He thought this was going to be a bigger book than the chronological Bible. And uh, it got criticized heavily by big name pronounced people, other published authors. I remember one published author had wrote a scathing review on the internet. Now, Dr. Reese didn't have the internet and didn't know how to type and uh, computers were a foreign thing to him. And so I had asked him, I said, did you see this review of what what this person said about your book? He says, print it out and send it to me. So I printed out, snail mailed it to him. After he finally got the snail mail, uh, um, I asked him, so did you get that a review. And he said, I did. I said, what'd you think? He said, praise the Lord. He read my book. Amen. That was someone that had this principle applied. He didn't see the scathing review. He didn't see the bad things he said about Dr. Reese. He said, man, here's someone who read my book. Wonderful. Great. Do you think our lives would be better off if that's how we saw people around us? They're not trying to get me. They're not trying to sabotage me. They don't hate me. That we see them as people that Christ died for. Wouldn't it change our whole dynamic of how we deal with people, whether at work or on YouTube or whatever, when we see them and not our enemies? Now, again, the goal is not to make people less our enemies. Our goal is to look at God. As we keep our eyes on God and our ways are pleasing to him, he changes the way we think about people on the outside. Isn't that wonderful? To be able to not have an enemy anymore, whether you have them or not. So many times our lives are consumed with the people that hate us, the people that don't like us, the people that we think are against us, the people that are in our way, the people that's trying to sabotage us. This is the conversations that we have from time to time. The people at work or the kids. Here's a common one. You might remember it when you were at school or heard your kids say it. My teacher hates me. Uh, Let me tell you, your teacher does not hate you. But if you could see God looking at him, then your teacher's no longer your enemies. People think that the Democrats hate you, the Republicans hate you, the whole government hates you. Well, when you keep your eyes on the Lord, you don't see them as enemies anymore. Everything changes. Even the idea of countries that may be trying to go to war with us. That if our eyes are on the Lord, we don't see them as enemies. We see them as people that Christ died for and they need, they need the gospel. They need saved. Did you know I have um, someone I know personally who went to go witness to every single one of Saddam Hussein's kids before they died while they were still in power and got a gospel witness to each one of them? Can you imagine that? That when the tensions are going up, he went on purpose to America, to Iraq, to witness to them. Why? They're not his enemies. He wants them to get saved. Could you imagine some allied soldier? I can't wait to get to Germany so I could witness to Adolf Hitler so he could go to heaven. 
when our ways please the Lord, God makes it so our enemies are at rest. Isn't that a wonderful idea that we could see people not as our enemies? So the question is, who are you trying to please? Let's look at a couple different verses to show this principle. But here's the question. Who are you trying to please? God should be your goal. We know there are times that you have to choose. Do I please God or do I please man? Do I please my family or do I please God? There are sometimes that choice is made. Notice with me if you don't mind. Let's just look at a couple passages. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians found in the New Testament. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and notice with me in verse number 10. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. Now in the context, some people have come into the churches of Galatia and teaching them that they could lose their salvation. Paul is upset. The whole letter, Paul is just really mad. But notice, if you don't mind, as Paul is starting to work with him, he understands that he's got a crowd of people that are looking up to him and that are trying to get him to change his ways. Notice with me Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please man? For if I yet pleased man, I should not be the servant of Christ. You have to choose which master you're going to serve. By the way, men are awful taskmasters. You can spend all of your life trying to make people around you happy and never succeed. God is much easier to please than other people. God is easier to please than your boss. God is easier to please than your wife. God is easier to please than your husband. God is easier to please than your parents. Man is difficult. And so if we spend all of our life trying to make men happy, we're going to be miserable. We're not going to be a good servant of God. And we're still going to have all these enemies about us. Who are you set to please? The goal needs to be God, him first and foremost. Now we should have a good conscience towards other men, meaning that we're not purposely trying to offend them, but our goal should be God knowing that I need to please him and I can't please everyone else. Now we say that because there's some of us who are natural people pleasers. You go out of your way, bend over backwards to make people happy. And then find out they're still not happy after all the acrobatics you just did. And you have a miserable life. You're not at peace. Because you spend all your time trying to make yourself miserable to make them happy. That's not a life you should live. The goal should be God. Make him happy and let him take care of the people around you. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. I have to choose. And some of you are not going to be happy with my choice, but I'm choosing God and I'm going to let God take care of this. My goal is God. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Ephesians chapter 6. I made reference to this earlier, but notice with me Ephesians chapter 6. And notice with me in verse 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, 
doing the will of God from the heart. Notice again, here is the choice. Men pleasers or the servant of Christ. That's what Paul said in the book of Galatians. Once again in the book of Ephesians, the same principle. Men pleasers or servants of Christ. I choose to serve Christ to be a good servant to him or I could spend all my life trying to please man. And the more I try to please man, the more I'm going to find out I can't succeed in that and I'm going to have a miserable life because I can't meet my goal. I have to choose who are you trying to please. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and notice with me verse 23. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, meaning with your heart, as unto the Lord and not unto men. Meaning that whatsoever you do, you should do it with your whole heart to please God and not to please man. There are some people that could try to even do ministry type things in order to make people happy. Your goal should always be to the Lord. Why are you at church? Well, because people are going to notice if I'm gone. Wrong goal. Why should I sing songs? Uh, because people are going to look around and see if I'm singing today. Your goal should not be them. Your goal should be God. Why do I bring my Bible and look at my Bible? Not so others can see if you're doing it or not. Do, for you to please God. Why are you here? What is your goal? Why are you doing these things? Is it because you were dragged to church? Or is it because you're here heartily? I want to please God. Everything that you do. Why do I read my Bible? Because pastor's going to yell at me if I don't. Wrong goal. What is your goal? Who are you trying to please? Notice if you don't mind one last passage. You guys have listened very patiently. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. I try to make it so we're going one direction on these last ones. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, and notice with me in verse number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier or servant of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You could be so entangled in this life, trying to please everyone, trying to make everyone else happy, that you not end up not pleasing God. You need to take off the entanglements. There are some people who don't go to church because their family doesn't like it. There are some people who don't read their Bible at home because their family doesn't like it. You need to get rid of the entanglements of trying to please people around you. And you need to make your goal God and be a good servant, be a good soldier, make him happy, please him, follow after him and let him take care of the people around you. You could only successfully try to please one person at a time effectively. If you try to please God, you have a chance of succeeding if you do it God's way. If you try to please man, you're never going to succeed. You're going to be entangled and you're not going to be pleasing to God and you're going to fail in all these aspects. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace. 
the God, the idea is you must choose whom you're going to please, whom you're going to serve, who is your goal to make happy. Is God your goal or are you trying to make others around you happy? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.